0: Croeso, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveria Recovery website, www.adveria.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com dielenhauer thank you so much
1: you can get it if you really want you can get it if you really want you can get
2: it if you really
3: See last. Welcome to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together.
2: Yeah. Persecution, you must be. Win and lose, you've got to get your share. Got your mind set on a dream. You can get it, don't hold it by
3: saying now. Recovery Now Radio coming to you from the living room and our Berriad. See that Welcome to Recovery Now Radio. Coming to you from the living room and Adveriad. My name is Joe, and our guest today is Bethan. Welcome, Bethan. How are you? Hi, Joe. I'm very well. Thank you. Really good to be here. Yes, yeah, lovely to see you in the studio in Cardiff today. Yes, live. It's been a long journey to get here, but it, it's it, great. I'm it's really enjoying my time in Cardiff. Brilliant. Uh, and we, you've had a. a Okayish weather as well. Yeah, we've been very lucky. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> Let's get straight into your first song, which is "Love Her Madly" by The Doors. Why did you choose that one?
4: Well, as as a young teenager, my um oldest brother, Kerry, who's four years older than me, introduced me to a lot of sort of. The Doors and The Grateful Dead, Blondie, David Bowie and that's when I started to just stop listening to so much of like teeny Bop and Top of the Pops and The Doors of, but Jim Morrison was a bit of an idol of, me, of mine all the way through my teenagers, years and um, yeah, I just love them very much my my kind of music
3: now still as well Excellent, let's have a listen Tell
0: me what you
1: say Don't you love her badly
3: We're listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was love her madly by the doors so beth i want to uh before we talk about your alcoholism i want to take you back to your childhood, if that's okay could you explain to us a little bit about how, what growing up was like for you
4: yeah i grew up with um, my parents were both teachers and my dad was a headmaster i grew up in the forces I was born in belgium and then spent the next 10 years in germany as the middle of five children there was there was no addiction in my family not with my parents and I don't, alcohol never played a part of our lives um, but there was a lot of anger in the house and sporadic violence and aggression in the house as well and we moved back to england when i was about 10 And um, that's where my parents actually still are now. But I think generally we had a a very... We travelled a lot as kids. We had a lot of those trappings. We had horse riding lessons and piano lessons and ballet lessons. But what I remember most, and obviously I've reflected on this quite a lot in my recovery, was that I was quite an unsettled child, very shy, didn't seem to fit in very well. I always had a couple of friends, a couple of close friends, but didn't feel like I sort of gelled very much, even within the family, actually. So, um, you know, I came over to England in 1981, and we settled over here, and I started school, um, high school there, which again was, you know, I was was always very good at school, I was always very good at sports, Um, I did a lot of gymnastics, and always did very well academically Mm. as well, until I discovered alcohol. That was Mm -hmm. about 16. I had a great teenage years, actually. I had a a core group of very good friends, male and female. We went to a lot of gigs together in our sort of mid-teens and then started to go to, you know, parties and started to go into pubs together. And it was towards... You know, my mid to late teens, where I started to gravitate away from them once I'd actually discovered booze, Mm. Um, whereas they would be in the pub on a Friday night, I'd already started going back on the Saturday lunchtime, the Saturday evening, back in the pub and the Sunday lunchtime. And I still did manage to sort of get to school, but already that, that alcoholic seed was very much in me from the word go.
3: Okay, well we'll talk a little bit about more about that in a minute, but your next song is uh, 225 by the New Model Army. What inspires you with this song? <laughs> new, new
4: Model Army as a teenager. When I first went to see a New Model Army gig, I'd never actually heard of them. I'd gone along with a friend who had just started a new relationship and she didn't want to go and see this band on her own with her new boyfriend, so she'd asked me to go with her. And... I loved the whole energy, I loved the kind of poetic anger in the lyrics, and um, and I, I just was completely absorbed by them, the political commentary, the social commentary, and just the speed, and just being around that many people um, at gigs, so I spent a lot of time sort of following new model army around as a teenager
3: let's
2: have a Just means this freedom to exploit any weakness.
3: You're listening to recovery now radio let's to recover together and that was new model army with 225 and we're still with Bethan today so beth and we talked a little bit about your childhood just before that song and i've read your brief and i want to take you back to when you were about 19 and you moved to france can you tell us a little bit about that period of your life
4: yeah i'd been expelled from school i'd started my a level course doing four a levels and and on one of the school's programmes to, on the Oxbridge programme, because the school had got a group of their more able academics together um, in the hope that would get some students into Oxford or Cambridge. And my drinking had already got quite established by that point, and by the end of that year, I had actually been expelled from school I was basically just not there (laughs) very much at all. I had better things to do. Most of it involved the pub. I'd already started um, drinking at home as well. I would, you know, wait till my parents had gone to work in the morning and I'd found a local shop that would actually serve me while I was underage and I'd go and get vodka and I would drink it on my own in my bedroom throughout the day, just top up drinking. I was still meeting up with some of my friends at weekends. But after I was expelled, I was offered a job in the south of France. And I can remember thinking, this is a great opportunity. My drinking had already started having consequences. I was already falling out with friends. And I thought this would be an ideal opportunity to sort my drinking out. I was in a new place with new people. And I went to the south of France. And for seven days, with this new resolve, I didn't drink. Mm. And all that shyness that I had remembered from my early teenage years came right back again, and I felt, if that painfully shy, I couldn't speak to anybody. And after seven days, I thought, blow it, I'm yeah. just going to have a drink, and I did, and and the magic came back again, mm. as if just like it had when that first drink that I'd had the couple of years beforehand, and I. I wasn't sober again for seven months when I came back to England and again that would have been my second attempt to sober up and I'd come back to England and a lot of my friends had gone to university by that point so I'd gone back to my parents house and in that sort of two month periods where I was trying not to drink yeah I, I experienced quite a dark depression as well actually and that was probably my first experience of mental health issues that have kind of been on and off the rest throughout my life actually since then and a friend of mine after about two months of not having a drink and not feeling so great and in quite a dark place a friend of mine had asked me to go and have a go out to the pub with her and her boyfriend and I'd sat in the pub (laughs) determined not to drink with orange juice throughout the evening and just before we left her boyfriend said to me Would you like a gin and tonic, Beth? And I said, yeah. And it all came alive again. My world came alive again. Suddenly that depression lifted and I couldn't for the life of me think why I wasn't drinking in the first place because this was my solution to life. Mm. Um, And that's when it came alive again. And it was around that period of time that I met my first husband who, um, in the pub, who was, who drank like I did. Yeah. Um, and to me, that was a meeting of minds. Yeah. <laughs> it was love.
3: <laughs> yeah. Gosh, it sounds like um you experienced, like, alcoholism and mental health so early on in life.
4: Yeah, I didn't yet really recognise it. I mean, a lot of the mental health issues, because I'd sort of mass them so much with various other things, and it's only... It, it, since in recovery, where I've actually sort of had the opportunity to really, you know, through having the darkness, the dark times, and being ill in mm. recovery, I've actually been able to recognise that I've had these episodes well, it was. probably all my life, yeah, and not really address them, you know. So recovery's, you know, getting sober has actually exposed for me all those other areas of my life that I needed recovering in as
3: well. Yeah, sure. Well, let's listen to your next song, which is Clannad and Bono, and it's called In a Lifetime. What made you choose this one? Wow, I will
4: always remember this track, and it will always stand out for me. So, when we got married, I moved down to the Isle of Wight with my husband, who was a brewer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I cut out the (laughs) middleman. So we moved down to the Isle of Wight and very quickly there was a pregnancy. And I did stop drinking throughout that pregnancy. I I took it very seriously. You know, I didn't drink, didn't smoke. And our eldest son was born and, um, and I was in the hospital the morning after he was born. And I can remember looking at him and thinking, there three things I thought. I thought, one, I hope he never grows a beard because he was so flawless and his skin looks so perfect. Um, and two was, I know I've got a really special job to do. I'd never felt any of that sort of maternal, immediate maternal bonding that other mothers at her talk about. And the third thing was, what do I do now? I had not a clue what to do with this little um this little baby in my arms or or what happened next and I looked around me in the hospital and there were some headphones on the wall behind me and I put them on and it was the hospital radio and this track by Clannad was playing and it was just so hauntingly beautiful um And I'll always remember the second track was The Levelers, um, 15 Years, Um, and I remember that now because I got sober when Sam was about just for his 16th birthday and that track from The Levelers is about uh, an alcoholic Um, and it very much was the next 15 years of my life was all about my drinking. about that. So that's uh, I just love this I really love chips and Yeah. I was about listening
3: then. you're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And that was Clannard and Bono in a lifetime. So Beth, you were telling us quite a story there about yeah. like how you moved to the south of France and what how your drinking progressed and then how you moved back met your husband was it first husband yeah and had your first child what happened after having your first child did you stop drinking for a bit or did you start again i, th- I think i
4: probably started when he was about three months old mm. um and you know that it was 18 months later we had our second child together as well Um, and it was during that second pregnancy I mean I think about they talk about that progressive illness and during my first pregnancy I didn't drink at all the second pregnancy I probably stopped when I was about four months pregnant and started again quicker afterwards Mm. but the marriage was in a lot of trouble by that point as well I was diagnosed with um, postnatal depression when not until my daughter Megan was about two years old actually um, and I've got very little recognition of the first sort of 18 months, two years of her life um, until I had that diagnosis actually so a mixture of the depression and, and the drinking as well mm. and the marital breakup.
3: Would you say you were self-medicating with, with using the alcohol for your depression then? I didn't even recognise it. I didn't even recognise that I was depressed, Mm. really.
4: Mm. It just seemed to be that was just how I was. So I recognised that I had sort of anxiety issues and I would drink for the anxiety. But I didn't really recognise that. I had a depression as well because that to me was my kind of normality. So
3: looking at your brief, um it says that um, you separated from your husband and um had a relationship with somebody else and had another three children. So yeah. That's quite a gap. What happened to you in that period?
4: So the marriage did break down and uh, it was about I was on my own for about a year and I I had a couple of drinking friends during that year who um sometimes it was the mothers that I'd met from school and we'd take the kids home and get drunk together. So, you know, drink was was always there. Sometimes I had somebody to drink with. But my preferred way of drinking was definitely on my own. And I wasn't sort of, a, you know, drank... I didn't drink during the day, really. But there was always that, right, I've got to get the kids to bed mm. so I can drink. And generally it was a blackout drink. And I did meet... Some, another person who drank like me at a point where I'd just come out of another period of depression and I was um just come out of therapy actually and um yeah I just made some really tough choices <laughs> I made some really far-reaching choices and again a very quick pregnancy and I think I drank pretty much to about eight months with my third son um we did go on to have two more children. Um, when my when our first son together was about five months old, we had a second pregnancy, and the pregnancy wasn't very healthy. And I spent six weeks in hospital, and I had an emergency caesarean at 36 weeks. And our son, Billy, was born. And um, after that six weeks in hospital, I can remember really thinking right, this is it, you haven't had a drink for six weeks, you're okay, you can go home, not drink again, you've done the worst of it, it was enforced. (laughs) Because I constantly had that desperation not to drink and I always thought that it just needed that ideal environment. For it just not to be part of my life. Yeah. I'm just trying to find that ideal environment. You, <laughs> you know, constantly those, pregnant those, one of those, us. Those, those, those <laughs> circumstances, what was going to kind of fit. Um, but I was home out of, out of the hospital after five days, that's after the Caesarean and drinking again. Yeah. Um,
3: and Well, I I knew there were some tragic circumstances mm, that came after that. So, if if you don't mind, can we listen to your next song and yeah. then and then discuss what happened okay. to you afterwards? Is that alright? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's the Pretenders. I go to sleep. What do you like about this song?
4: It was a song that very much my my um, my first husband actually made me a track um, after we had the bereavement, and he made me a CD of soothing tracks, and there was a lot of choral music on it as well. And, um, and it, it, he was still quite heavily involved, obviously, in the children's lives. Mm. And, um, and this was one of the tracks that was on there. And I always think of it as, as almost like a lullaby. Mm. Um, that, that when we're going through those difficult times, and especially when there's a bereavement, that it's with you all the time. You know yeah. it's when you try and go to sleep and you wake up in the morning and you're carrying this around with you and i remember somebody saying to me at the time you know time will heal <laughs> and i just thought maybe one time one day it will all go away but i understand now that it just gets easier with time yeah. that the healing is just more of a soothing it's more of a balm. yeah and i found this track to be a real balm.
5: And imagine that you're there with me
3: you're listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was the pretenders with i go to sleep so um i know that um what we're about to speak about now is um quite um emotional and was was quite traumatic at the time could you explain to us what happened with billy
4: yeah statistically when i look at things around cot death billy was going to be more vulnerable, he was a boy for a start, he was low birth weight, he was premature. When Billy was six weeks old, I'd woken up in the morning and Billy had died in my arms in the night. And I am always very grateful, actually, that I wasn't drunk the night before. It Mm. wasn't, you know, it didn't happen in blackout, it didn't happen... You know when I was having, you know, or I'd just hit a critical mass drink. You know, and I'm always very grateful for that that I've got that kind of recollection around the time. And he did have we did have a pediatric pathologist who said it was consistent with sudden death in infancy. And I just remember, you know, that time afterwards with the household, you know, I had three children still in the house and that period in the house trying to trying to still function Mm. more than anything trying to get the children to school had a huge amount of support from the children's schools from neighbors from a priest actually in in a a church nearby me who happened to have sort of heard about it Mm. but there's nothing can sort of prepare you for the the shock of something like um, cot death and I worked very closely with them um, what's now called a charity called the Lullaby Trust it's now called the Lullaby Trust who ran a befriending service which um, and they were really supportive as well and when I said about you know it can only take time yeah but definitely my drinking changed then whereas occasionally I did used to drink with other people it was and I don't think I ever drank with somebody else again until I got into recovery Wow about um, six years after that um, it was exclusively on, on my own in my kitchen and I know initially I was I started drinking brandy mm-hmm. for in the morning routinely right. um, and I drink brandy with my coffee I topped up all the way through the day and I was never drunk I was just constantly numb yeah. Um, and then I'd go back to two or three bottles of wine in the evening just to kind of finish it off. Yeah. And I knew nobody was going to question my drinking. You no, know? not in those circumstances. I was yeah. I was the grieving mother yeah. and I know that nobody would have come near me yeah. <laughs> or questioned it. And that kind of gave me carte blanche to drink exactly Mm. how i wanted to which was you know and and that is my default setting when you know when i'm not trying to control my drinking i've realized that's where i'd go i would be a 24-hour round-the-clock drinker and it wasn't i didn't sort of take stock of that until i was pregnant again with my youngest daughter four months later and then i realized at the beginning of that pregnancy that I couldn't stop. Mm. I thought I owe this to the memory of Billy to actually protect this pregnancy, to keep myself healthy. And I couldn't stop drinking. Um, and I'd managed to control it through the pregnancy, but I did drink throughout the pregnancy. Mm. And that's that progressive illness when I look at those yeah. pregnancies, you know, whereas 15 years before that, I was able to stop. And when it came to that pregnancy with the best will in the world mm. and the desire not to drink, I couldn't do it. You were
3: just unable to yeah. at that point, yeah. Well, that's um really, really touching story. And uh, it, I've spoken to you about it a couple of times now, and it always like takes my breath away when I hear it. Moving on to your next song, which is Raise a Light by uh, Sixty Thompson, yeah? Mm. Um, what made you choose this song? So
4: once I once I got into recovery, this song always reminds me of those mental health issues I've had since I've been in recovery. And it always reminds me that, it's probably starting with when I started to reach out to the Lullaby Trust after Billy died, and I realised I couldn't do things by myself. And although I carried on drinking for another six years before I reached out again for help with AA, that razor light track, once, when I hit my first sober depression when I was two years sober, and, and it was a, quite a substantial crash. Mm. I wasn't functioning. And my doctor had said to me, why did you let it get so bad? <laughs> yes. Why didn't you come to us earlier? And the truth is, I didn't know. I right. I actually didn't recognize it I didn't recognize how much I was just sort of running on empty until I until I had that crash and I had to learn literally to walk again and to reach out for help I had a lot of counseling it required quite a lot of medication my doctor managed to my doctor wanted me hospitalized but I actually ended up having um a, a community psychiatric nurse saw me every day in, yeah. in my home and slowly sort of piecing that back together again and during that period, I, I, I developed this kind of night living. <laughs> I slept a lot during the day, just because it was just too stimulating for me, the light, the noise. And I started reading at night and doing jigsaws and listening to music again, which I hadn't been able to do because I found it to jangled me too much. Mm. Um, and razor light that, um, that album was one that my oldest son was listening to at the time, and it was one when I realised that I've got to let down those barricades, yeah. you know, and and allow myself to be healed. And most of, you know, because I kept everything so self-contained, I was doing myself so much damage yeah. <laughs> by not sharing the difficulties that I'd experienced with other people and allowing people these people have tried to care for me and love me all the way throughout my life where I'm going back off yeah <laughs> I got this yeah, yeah. <laughs> and quite clearly I hadn't yeah. got this and I, and I couldn't manage by myself so that song was a track that I listened to when I was having that kind of night world as I was starting to get better after okay. that crash and um, and it's just a reminder to me to just to stay open <laughs>
6: boy, brings you coffee, there are letters from every shore There are flowers of the season, heels are capsized by the door You're well protected, cold as you must be to survive But I know somewhere behind your barricade There's a love that can be made And in my blood, your ghost is crying living tears, and I can't switch them off or turn them down or out. You are a night flower, you bloom as I fade, and you drag me in deeper behind your barricade. With a love that can be made behind your barricade. Yes, and how long can I stay? of yourself you don't believe in anymore we'll face the chat show at 8.30 and we'll freeze in the applause who am I to argue here everybody must get paid may you bloom forever behind your barricades looking for a love that can be made Barricade, yes, and how long can I stay behind your barricade where true arrows seldom stray?
3: you're listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was razor light with 60 thompson we were talking about um um, a mental health uh, crisis that you had during your recovery just Mm. now if i can just take you back a little bit so when you initially found recovery could you talk us through that for a second
4: yeah my recovery dates september 2008 and my youngest daughter was about four years old I, i was working still um, the marriage was very much in tatters. There was a lot of other substances involved in the house as well, and, and a lot of other issues. It was quite an unpleasant um, situation. And I got to that point. Um, my last drink that got me into the rooms wasn't a wasn't an aggressive drink. It was just another night. Mm. Just another night. I wasn't paralytically drunk I wasn't in blackout but it was like something just snapped and I'd gone to bed and I'd woken up the next morning and I'd asked my husband to take the children to school I'd phoned at work and phoned in sick and when everybody had left the house I phoned up AA it wasn't the first time I'd phoned AA I'd phoned them about three years beforehand after a particularly unpleasant situation in the house mm. and And I'd managed to talk my way out of it. I thought somehow I could just tweak my drinking (laughs) and change maybe what I was drinking, how I was drinking, how I diluted it, or, you know, maybe change my (laughs) behaviour. I'd already sort of given up trying to give up. Mm. I just thought I could make it work for me somehow. So, and it just happened I phoned up AA that, that day and everything seemed to magically fall into place whether i wanted it to or not because there wasn't (laughs) it didn't give me an opportunity to to back off again there was a 12-stepper available there was a meeting that night and i I went to the meeting that night and i went to um shanklin to the meeting i didn't want to go to a local meeting because i was terrified somebody i knew might be there and they might recognize me at the time i was working in school so i was really worried that there might be a parent there. And I went to that meeting and I distinctly remember a guy sharing about his first meeting and saying that at his first meeting he'd met two women who tried to murder their husbands and that's how he knew he was in the right place and I sat there thinking, I'm one woman who's tried to murder two husbands. I'm definitely in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my most. (laughs) But I came away from that meeting and somebody gave me a hug and that felt so abnormal, Mm. almost painful for somebody to touch me and give me that kind of care and support. And I left that meeting with relief that I know a lot of people say that you know it gives them that bit of hope, but I just felt a relief that it didn't have to be like this, yeah, you know that that I have options now and, and it was a choice and um, I went back to a local meeting two days later, because um, I knew I couldn't afford to be quite so proud, yeah, you know, this I didn't have a plan B. I'd, I'd, I'd run out of all my own resources of trying to manage my drinking, trying to control my drinking, and that's... But it wasn't my last drink. I mm. did carry on on and off for about three months, but I never went far from AA again after that. Um, yeah, they say it's the last house on the
3: block, don't they? Yes,
4: yeah. yeah. And I didn't realise there were all these like rooms all over the place, yeah. and the one that I went to, my local one, was... <laughs> In the street next to me. Wow. (laughs) Just like, you know, why didn't I ever know this before? Yeah. And it, it was a long journey for me to learn how to talk to people, how to open up again, I was still, I accepted that my life was unmanageable and I still thought, I wasn't quite ready to burn my bridges, I still wanted that safety net, just in case, yeah. <laughs> just, just in case something dreadful happened and I needed that there and the, the actual drink that would have been my sobriety date was not a, again was not a drunk, it was a bottle of wine mm. and I remember working really hard to finish that bottle. know out of an obligation I've got to get to the bottom of it Mm. but I knew without any doubt there was no magic left in it there was nothing left in drinking for me and I went back to AA the next day and it was so simple there is a 12-step program of recovery but certainly for that first six months almost a year I went to meetings and didn't drink. I went to meetings and didn't drink because that was about all I could manage. I was I felt really shell shocked. Yeah. Um, you know, and just trying to hang on to these things and make sense of the things that were already in my life. Um, and things like, you know, what's just happened? I've got these four children here. <laughs> I'm not even sure what to do with them. <laughs> yeah. A marriage that was very, it was quite a dangerous situation for me at the time. And um and a job and you know, just trying to make sense of, of living yeah. really. Um and not drinking. And that was luckily and I say luckily now at the time I wasn't very happy about it, but they'd taken my contract off me at work and given me a zero hours contract. So I was doing bits of work but nothing like the amount that I was doing before. But, and my youngest daughter had just started school, so that gave me the time. Time, yeah. That gave me time.
3: Well, you, your um, next song is DVBBS and Gorgeous, <laughs> Tsunami. It's a bit of a curveball, this one, isn't it? Cause it's very different <laughs> to your other song choices. Tell me about this.
4: Well, it was after I had that breakdown and I realised that, you know, I had. Um, so I'd started working the 12-step programme and I had a lot of really good support around me around my recovery but I had to look at my mental health recovery as well and I'd started running (laughs) I'd always done a lot of sport and things actually but I started running and just because I just heard of the benefits of you know keeping those endorphins up and and keeping moving and, and and being in motion has always been quite an important part of my life anyway and so i started running i found this um app for um learn complete novice runners in their 40s (laughs) (laughs) i started from scratch and it was something as simple as run for 20 seconds walk for five minutes and that's where i started right. um and as i sort of progressed and i could sort of run bigger distances i started sort of compiling a, a song list and it had to be something that was quite up tempo and this was a song that i always had on my um my running list but it could have been anything from gloria gainer just <laughs> it just needed the right beat to it and yeah this is sort of really out of of sync with the rest of my music taste But I love it, and and I like the energy in it, and uh, uh, it keeps me going. It makes me think I'm young again, actually. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, I I quite like it myself. Let's, uh, Let's see how it goes now.
2: in the days, I feel like I'm riding a wave. My life is a roller coaster, inside of a maze. I hope it's a phase. Spending way more than I save. I don't know if I'm matching my age anymore, man. I need to break out of this cage. Stuck in the days, I feel like I'm riding a wave. My life is a roller coaster, inside of a maze. I hope it's a phase. I hope, it's, I, hope it's a phase. I hope it's a phase. I feel like I'm riding a wave.
3: listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was DVBBS and Borges with Tsunami Beth we uh, started talking about your recovery before that song and reading your brief again I'm just looking through it now and it says that uh, at 45 you found yourself doing lots of adult things (laughs) so tell me what you started doing in your recovery then yeah 45 I learned how to drive
4: (laughs) I have had a quite a lot of driving lessons in the past, but I was never sober long enough. I can remember doing, in my early 20s, having driving lessons on a Monday morning, well over the limit still from drinking the night before. And I just got used to just doing everything on public transport. Mm. So I um, I learned how to drive at 45, and I love it. I love yeah. driving. <laughs> I just love the freedom, and it's made me think, why didn't I do this earlier? But, you know, that's the kind of... I've, I've no doubt that if I had a licence earlier, I would have lost it. There's no way I would have thought twice about drinking and driving. Mm. And that fills me with fear, actually. The fact that I know that I would have done, I know that I would have driven with the kids. Mm. And, yeah, I bought bought my first house at 45. I'm going to be paying a mortgage till I die. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, and I've just got you know it's those things that grow slowly in recovery and and it has taken time whereas you know so I've got four children who were four six fourteen and sixteen when I got sober and I didn't have a clue what to do with them Um, my oldest son was actually frog marching me down to meetings Mm. while he was doing his GCSEs he'd walk me down to the meeting to make sure I got there went home did some revision went and collected me to make sure I walked past the shop where I I bought my booze yeah and my oldest daughter was already drinking and that's another thing I'm really grateful for that I got recovery when I did because I've no doubt that you know those my children who are doing their regular rite of passage drinking yes um, I would have drunk with them, yeah, and um, and so I'm very relieved that, you know, I'd got sober when I did, and I've got amazing relationships with them today. There's no. Um, occasionally, we'll talk about my recovery, especially the older two. They, you know, they were exposed to an awful lot with my drinking, especially that I took them out of one alcoholic house into another one. But they love me unconditionally. <laughs> How fantastic is that. And yeah. that's just yeah. amazing. I think they despair of me a fair amount as well. <laughs> but they you know, they they can say You're the oh, God yeah. suck, Mom. Yeah. There you go again. Um but I've got a fantastic relationship yeah. with them. And I changed my job in a year ago now. I've just been in, in the job I'm working. So I was working in schools for fifteen years. Um, I remember somebody saying to me, "You can change jobs now you're sober. You yeah. don't have to stick in the same thing for the rest of your life." And I'd been in a job that I was really struggling with for a couple of years, and not really knowing how to get out. It's all I'd ever really known. I'd been mm. working in schools for fifteen years. I've, I've you know, I've got no education, <laughs> really. Um, I've got a lot of experience in various yeah. bits and pieces, but I haven't got any kind of qualifications on paper. And I decided that after doing a few kind of part time jobs, I went and worked for a cosmetic company and I did some catering work for sort of society events and, and learning how to mix with other people in yeah. other situations. I started working for community reablement for the council, who work alongside the NHS on the island, supporting people. To get back on their feet as they come out of hospital, and right. get, getting them independent again, and I love it. And I'd never have dreamt that I'd do a job like that. Yeah, i never thought I had enough compassion or enough care or enough empathy. And I'm in my element doing it, and just having that purpose. Yeah. And. F- it always surprises me that you know I actually form quite good relationships with people, <laughs> whereas you know it's it's my nature to just avoid the human race and be alone, yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> now I actually not only too have I realised in recovery that I need people, that that took a couple of years to accept. Now I realise I actually want people. Yeah. I, you know, and that's, what a revelation! And yeah. I, that, that's a complete sort of change around for yeah. me.
3: Well, in a second, we're gonna we're gonna play your penultimate song now, and then I want to talk about like your life now and new developments that have recently happened. <laughs> but um... <laughs> which ones are those, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, your penultimate song is Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, um, "City of Stars." I believe it's from La La Land. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, tell me about this. But this this is. A song I love,
4: actually, partly because of new developments, yeah. but also that I've always loved musicals. I've just I was brought up with musicals. Um, I love musical cinema. I love musical theatre, and I would have loved to have just put eight tracks from the musicals yeah. down, down for this song. And I, I and I know it's kind of it feels a bit of a middle aged guilty pleasure. <laughs> when you come from sort of a background of anarchic rock. Um, (laughs) But, um, and La La Land. My children were brought up on musicals as well. I I took the girls off to see Cats in in London a a couple of years ago. and We had an amazing weekend. Um, And so all the kids have got their own, whether it's Disney musicals or whether it's theatre or... But, and La La Land, it's such a beautiful song that one it almost the simplicity of it and it talks about what everybody wants is just love Mm. and first going into AA and people talked about love and I just thought a load of hippie rubbish (laughs) (laughs) but it didn't take me long to realize that I had no real comprehension of what love really was to me it was fierce it was kind of controlling. Um, and, and even sort of loving my own children. Um, I wasn't even sure whether I was doing it in a, in a nurturing way. I think I did it in a way that I just wanted to fiercely protect them. Mm. You know, and having to learn to love them in a way that allows them to grow and allows mm. them their freedom as well as sort of and allow them to know that they can grow up knowing that i love them without (laughs) me having to kind of cosset them constantly yeah um so it's kind of like you know i've had to learn an awful lot about that so that that um that song always reminds me about that and when they talk about the city of stars and i think about um all those people in my life that have always been there for me or people as strangers that I've met or people who've only been there for a short period of time I think about that breakdown when Manuel my community psychiatrist had clung on to me and believed in me Mm. and my headmistress at the time Um, and all those people who had so much faith in me you know those angels in my life
1: A dance a look in somebody's
5: eyes To light up the skies To open the world and send it really A voice that says I'll be here And you'll be alright I don't care if I know Just where I will go
2: Cause all that I need is this crazy
6: feeling I got tapped out of my heart I think I want it to stay
1: City of
6: stars Are you shining just for me?
2: City of stars You
5: never shine
3: you're listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was ryan goslin and emma stone with city of stars so we've talked about so much today beth but what i want to talk about now is what life is like for you now and uh, regarding those new developments tell, tell me what's happening in your life right now then <laughs> what can i say
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i, I, I guess um, yeah, during COVID, there has been a new relationship development. Yeah, <laughs> who'd have thought? You know, somebody who is in recovery as well, and that's that's been a rather beautiful adventure yeah. so far. And it's um, and that's kind of you know, this would be my first sober relationship. Is it really? Which wow, quite frankly, is Scary. terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine so 12 years without a drink and i know they say to us um don't get into a relationship in the first year or three years or five years or whatever mm. they say so you know 12 years without a drink i'm it's really tough
2: wow <laughs>
4: you know all those kind of emotions yeah that um i'm still not i'm not even sure i can label them i don't even know what they are
3: i just feel really raw as well yeah yeah
4: yeah and and there's that kind of you know, what have I learnt? You know, mm. how can can I prevent making those same mistakes that I've done before? Mm. You know, even with drink not in the equation. And so that there's there's quite a lot of sort of self learning and and a lot of reflection to do on that as well. You know, it sounds like a, exciting
3: times and like it, getting to discover somebody new. Yeah. 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 And li- living in different countries, yeah. which isn't easy. <laughs> but it's not it's not as far away as people might think though different countries, is it? It's, it's not that far. It's not. It's yeah. not. I know there's just a sea, but yeah. that's kind of And it's <laughs> only
4: a small bit of sea. It's a small <laughs> yeah. sea, a very expensive bit of sea, but it is only a small one. You could probably swim it. Yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, it's just thinking of I've just, I've just signed up to do um a ten mile run actually. Uh, The Great South Run. So it would be the first sort of official run I've done. Right. So I'm just constantly just trying to find other things to do. And like I shared with you earlier, just like just gone back to the theatre last week, which is Mm. amazing. Um, The whole experience of sort of COVID, I know it's been a tough time has actually been an incredible experience you know Mm. where where we can in recovery you know wear the world like a loose cape where we've had to kind of think on our feet and adjust and you know those people in recovery couldn't be better equipped
3: no to to deal with 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 these kind
4: of changes around that and I've just started um looking at doing some work with the Lullaby Trust as well actually um okay the cot death charity yeah. which i had been contemplating for a long time um because i'm I'm aware that there are elements of me that i probably still need a bit more support and i just thought in very much like in 12-step programs you know you know helping others yeah helps us exactly um, yeah and and you what better position could you yeah. be in yeah is that you know in aa you know alcoholics are uniquely equipped to help Mm. other alcoholics you know Mm -hmm. I I have experienced a cot death you know I'd like to be to give back some of that care and support that was given to me in whatever way that that I can and it's only 19 years later that I actually feel sort of strong enough to do that but again that's it's through actually meeting I've met other Parents in AA who have lost children right. and sharing that. And one person I met had lost his first child 40 years before, and he hasn't mentioned it to a soul. Wow. Till he got into the rooms. Nobody, not anybody, till he mentioned it in the rooms.
3: We do tend to like keep all this stuff to yeah. ourselves, don't we? Yeah.
4: And it was only when I mentioned it as part of a share of mine in a meeting that he said it and i just thought wow that you know giving people the freedom to release their stuff by sharing our own stories Mm. um it's incredibly powerful
3: which which is amazing yeah yeah well um it's unfortunately we've have come to the end of the hour now and um before i go i want to thank everybody for listening obviously and i wanted to thank uh, the living room and adveriad for enabling us to have this radio station in the first place and beth and most of all like it's been such an honor and a privilege to hear your story and um, and share those personal times with you and i'm in such a like ridiculously privileged position to to get to hear people's Really, you know, personal stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been amazing. So I want to thank you for doing that and being so brave. Your last song is Crowded House. Well, it's by Crowded House and it's all I ask. Why did you choose this one? This is a late arrival to to
4: my list. Um, (laughs) And my list has changed quite a few times. Um, And I found this track, Woodface. I found the album Woodface in a charity shop not so long ago actually and I was playing it in the car and I listened to this track and those tracks that I'd forgotten from, you know, 20, 30 years ago and it just reminds me to just kind of keep things simple really that kind of one day at a time that we're taught in recovery asking for a sober day and it talks in that song you know, freedom from the past Um, that there is... A great future yeah. ahead of us, and it doesn't have to define you know. us, does it? No, no, no. What what I've experienced or what you or anybody else has experienced doesn't have to be the way forward. And um, and I, I just like the simplicity of this song as well. Actually, we just need to keep it simple. And I'm very good at complicating things. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I don't feel well unless my life is full of complicated yeah. things. <laughs> And then I end up, you know, getting concerned about my mental health or having to phone somebody and go, what's going on? But I, I can generally create my own chaos. And this song just reminds me, just to just keep it simple.